You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Jeremiah 44. Uh, this chapter, this message in Jeremiah 44 is the last recorded message from Jeremiah to the people of Judah. Now, there's going to be some more uh, messages that he's going to preach to some of the other nations, to uh, Moab and to Edom and to Babylon, and, and speaking of God's judgment on them. But this right here is the last message that God's people, the people of Judah, would hear from Jeremiah. Now, I don't know why this hit me like it did this week, but I wonder, I wonder what will be the last message that you ever hear. I know for me, the last message that I heard, same one that you heard Sunday night about how to deal with offenses. Uh, I know for me, the last message I preached uh, before tonight was the, our, our anchor of the soul, Jesus Christ, our foundation. But, you know, I wonder what will be the last message you will ever hear. I hope the last message I hear is on a Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night, and then God calls me home like the next day. I hope it's not that I hear a message and then I backslide and get out of church and stop listening to preaching and stop caring about the Word of God. I wonder what will be the last message you'll ever hear. I wonder for a lost person. I wonder if they will have the opportunity for all of eternity to have ringing in their ears that last message that they heard that they could have accepted Christ. They could have been saved, but they didn't. I wonder for somebody that is backslidden. And by the way, I understand tonight I'm preaching to the cream of the crop. If you're coming to church on Sunday school and Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night, I hope you're not backslidden. And I know it's possible you could be backslidden in your heart, but I hope you're here because you want to be here and you love God. But I wonder for a backslidden person, I wonder for a prodigal son, I wonder what was the last message that they heard where they could have gotten right, that they could have responded, they could have dealt with something, but they didn't. They, instead of dealing with it, they tuned God out. Tell you, I think about my dad and the last message he ever preached, and he didn't know it was going to be his last message, but he preached about being faithful and, uh, and, and how we can be faithful. And by, that's, by the way, that's what I want to be, and that's exactly what Jeremiah was. The last message he preached to Judah was preached almost 50 years from the time he started preaching to the time he finished preaching. That's faithfulness right there, let me tell you. 50 years, and you say, oh, but, you know, he had such a big church, and he had a lot of converts, and no, he didn't have any of that. He preached to a lot of people that wouldn't listen, and to a lot of people that, uh, that not only wouldn't listen, but they hated his guts because he told them the truth. But I tell you, I want to be faithful, and I hope that's your desire as well, just to finish our course and be faithful like Jeremiah did. It says in chapter 44, verse 1, the word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the Jews which dwell in the land of Egypt. You say, well, how did they get into Egypt? Well, remember the story? They were taken captive. The uh, captives were taken to Babylon. 
The king left a remnant. He left the poor of the land there. They were left with a governor, uh, Gedaliah. But then Gedaliah was assassinated by Ishmael. Ishmael took those people and tried to, to flee uh, to, uh, to Ammon. He was intercepted by Johanan. He was the captain of the guard. And he got the people. And he rescued them from Ishmael. And then Johanan said, oh no, we're in trouble. What are we going to do? Nebuchadnezzar is going to be upset when he hears about this. And so Johanan and the people made the decision. They said, we will solve all of our problems. We're just going to run away. We're going to go down into Egypt where Nebuchadnezzar won't be able to get us. Well, Jeremiah tried to stop that one. Jeremiah said, oh no, you can't go down into Egypt. That's not where God wants you to go. That's not what God wants you to do. And he told them, but they wouldn't listen. They disobeyed the voice of God and they went into Egypt anyway. So that's where they are now in chapter 44, verse 1 and verse number 2. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, ye have seen all the evil that I brought upon Jerusalem and upon all the cities of Judah. And behold, this day they are a desolation and no man dwelleth therein. Verse 3, because of their wickedness, which they have committed to provoke me to anger in that they went to burn incense and to serve other gods whom they knew not, uh, neither they, uh, ye, nor your fathers. In verse number four, he says, I sent them prophets and, and said, they, I said, don't do this, but they did it anyway. Verse five, they hearkened not, nor inclined their ear to turn from their wickedness to burn no incense unto other gods. But it goes on to say in verse number eight, in that ye provoked me unto wrath, with the works of your hands burning incense unto other gods in the land of Egypt. You know what they did? They left Judah and they left their land and they were destroyed because they were serving other gods and God judged them. And so then they run down into Egypt and guess what happens in Egypt? They start worshiping false gods again. They're burning incense to the gods of the Egyptians. Notice verse 9, have ye forgotten the wickedness of your fathers? Verse number 10, they are not humbled even unto this day, neither have they feared nor walked in my law, uh, nor in my statutes that I set before you and before your fathers. Verse number 11, thus uh, saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will set my face against you for evil and to cut off all Judah. Verse 13, I will punish them that dwell in the land of Egypt, as I have punished Jerusalem. Verse 14, the end of the verse, it says, for none shall return, but such as shall escape. Lord, I pray you'd speak to our hearts, and I pray you'd give us what we need from this passage of Scripture. I pray we would learn from it. I pray that we would uh, allow it to work in our heart and work in our life. I pray that we would make application, and I pray that we would be found faithful to you and faithful to your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We see that the people of God went down into Egypt against the word of God, against the warnings of God. God said that he would judge them for this, and indeed he did. God always does what he says. But chapter 44, the problem here is that they're in Egypt. They weren't supposed to be in Egypt. They got into Egypt, and guess what they did? They started worshiping the gods of the Egyptians. Now, if that sounds familiar, that's because God's people did that over and over and over again. 
Here's an example. Remember the story of Lot. Lot did not start off wicked. Lot started off with his uncle, Abraham. He, he worked with, he spent time with, he was influenced by Abraham, who was a friend of God. Could you imagine having an uncle like that? And by the way, some of you, maybe you do. You've got an uncle or maybe an aunt who, was a, who, who is or who was a godly person. They knew God. They knew how to pray. Uh, they, they knew how to walk with God. They taught you some things. They, they pointed you in the right direction. And that is what Abraham gave to Lot. That's what he passed down to Lot. But something happened with Lot. Lot saw the well-watered plains of where? Sodom. He didn't see the wickedness of the city. He just saw that he could be successful. And he could maybe have his, his herds and his cattle multiply. And he could maybe have a little bit better life. And he saw the well-watered plains and then he went to Sodom. Well, guess what happens when you go to Sodom? You start to be influenced by the people of Sodom. Guess what happened to the people of God when they went to Egypt? They started to be influenced by the people of Egypt. That's why Jesus told us, he told his disciples that we are in this world, but we are not of this world. And friend, I want to tell you, that's why you got to keep God uh, at the forefront. That's why you got to worship God. That's why you got to come to church. That's why you got to read your Bible. And that's why you got to pray and walk with God and do what's right. Because if you don't, you're going to allow this old world to influence you. And you're going to start worshiping the gods of this world, which you have no business worshiping. And I have no business worshiping. I'd say the Ten Commandments are pretty clear. Thou shalt have how many other gods? No other gods. Zero other gods before me. But yet, the people of God got into Egypt and they began to worship those gods. That's why 1 John reminds us, love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If you start loving the world, eventually you're going to start loving the gods of this world. Let me give you a few thoughts quickly from Jeremiah 44. Number one, I see that the people of Judah would not heed. They would not heed. The word heed, it means to, to, to watch something, to observe something. And it says in Jeremiah 44 in verse number two, it says, Ye have seen all the evil that I have brought upon Jerusalem. Jeremiah said, this is no secret. This should be no surprise. You've seen the judgment you have seen the, the wrath of God. You have seen the captivity. You have seen all of this. You knew better, but you failed to heed the warnings. They still went to serve other gods. You say, well, pastor, we don't have other gods today, and we don't have idols, and we don't have a problem with idolatry and in our country now you know some nations they actually do they they set up idols in their homes and some religions set up idols to worship but pastor we don't do that okay then i'd like for you to tell me why some people have sold out themselves for the almighty dollar and they no longer have time for god you know what that's called that's called a God that somebody has put ahead of God when they make 
their life all about the almighty dollar. Can I tell you, money has become a God. There are people that could care less about what God says. They care less about this book. The only thing that matters to them is how can I make another buck? Well, I got news for you. You can make all the money in the world and you can lose your soul. You can make all the money in the world and still not be happy. You can make all the money in the world and still not have a good night's sleep because thou shalt have no other gods before me. For some people, money has become their God. How about this? For some people, it's the job. And it's not even that that job is making them wealthy. It's not even that that job is, 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 is some uh, high and lofty position, but some people have allowed the job to take the place of God. I'll say this. There's not a job on planet Earth that's more important than God. There's not a job. There's not a promotion. There's not a position. There's not a, a, a salary package. There's not anything in this world, in the job market, that it has, has a greater importance in your life or in my life than God should have. But some have made the job their God. How about sports? I don't have to tell you about that. Sports has become a God. Sad to me that on Sundays, the, the sports stadiums will be full. Sad to me that the sports stadiums, I, I read last week there was a game. And by the way, I'm not against sports, but I'm against sports being a God in your life. And I'm against sports taking the place that belongs to God. But I read last week there was a game on Sunday night. It was the uh, New England Patriots against the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And it was the, uh, the, the, the time that Tom Brady, who was the quarterback for the Patriots, he was coming back to New England to play. They said this, the average ticket for that football game, the average ticket for one seat at that football game was $1,000. The average ticket. Can I tell you, when you spend $1,000 to go to a football game, which, by the way, I think it was played in the rain, and you spend $1,000 to go watch a football game, and by the way, you say, well, that's the only game somebody went to. That's fine. But there's a whole lot of people in this nation that have made sports their God. And my Bible still says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. You know what? I'm, all, I'm not against football. I'm not against basketball. I'm not against those things. Matter of fact, I love sports. But if sports ever takes the place in your life that belongs to God, you need to reevaluate and you need to reprioritize in a heartbeat to get things back where they need to be. Maybe it's a hobby, maybe it's hunting or fishing, or maybe it's golf or whatever the hobby may be. There, there should be nothing that takes that place. I think for some people, I think the, te the television set has become their God. You say, oh, no, 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 you know, I don't need the TV. Well, well, sometime track how many hours you spend watching it every day. Here's a good one. You say, well, I don't watch TV. I just, I just surf the web or I, 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 I scroll through Facebook or whatever. This last Monday, by the way, if you didn't know this, congratulations. Brother uh, Caleb and I found out the hard way. We were trying to do our winning side broadcast and Facebook would not work. I thought it was because Caleb was doing too many political posts. I thought they just shut him down. You know, they've been spying on, and he hasn't been. I'm just teasing. But Facebook was not working, and we found out for a good part of the day on Monday, Facebook was not working. Well, can I tell you, there were people 
who didn't know what to do. I mean, how, I mean, I mean, how could you survive for a day without, I mean, without Facebook? I mean, can you tell, can I tell you, uh, uh, there are very few things that, uh, uh, that uh, uh, cause the dumb to speak like Facebook, but Facebook for some people, Facebook has become their God. They've got to be uh, uh, involved in everything that's going on. I don't know if that's your God or not, but I'm saying for some people it is. How about this? For some people, education has become their God. I'm not against education. I'm not against degrees. I think for many of you, I think you're very wise in your profession that you have continued your education and you've got more degrees and you've got all those things. I think that's wonderful. But if you ever come to a point where that education makes you smarter than God, then you better get your money back in a hurry because you didn't get an education. You didn't get smarter. You just got dumber. Because the Bible says in Romans 1, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And we live in a society where people think they're so smart, they know better than God. People are so smart, they know better than the Bible. I got news for you. There's coming a day when it's going to be revealed that those people are not as smart as they say or they think they are. I'm all for health, not against health. As a matter of fact, I think you're very wise to eat right. I think you're very wise to exercise. I think you're very wise to do those things. But don't let your health become a God to you. You see, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and you ought to take care of your body, and bodily exercise profiteth little. But how many of you know that you can be healthy and you can still drop dead? You can be healthy and you can think you've got your whole life ahead of you, but your life and my life is still like a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Uh, don't let your health take over to where you don't have time for church. You don't have time for God. You don't have time to serve God. How about this? I'm going to shock some of you with this statement. Don't ever let your ministry take the place of God. And by the way, I don't know of anybody here that this has happened to, but I have known people in my life that they were so consumed with, and here it is, they were so consumed with their ministry. It became about them. It became about what they were doing and what they were accomplishing. Friend, I want to tell you, anything good that happens at Victory Baptist Church, it's certainly not because of us. It's all because of him. And this is not our ministry. This is not my ministry. This is not your ministry. This is God's ministry that he has allowed us to be a part of. But don't let the ministry take the place of God. You say, well, how could that happen? How about Mary? and Martha. Those names ring a bell? The sisters of Lazarus. Well, what happened to Martha? She was cumbered about. She was so burdened with so much serving, and she was doing so much, and Jesus had to say, Martha, relax, calm down. She said, but you don't understand, Jesus. Mary's not doing everything she's supposed to be doing. And Jesus said, Mary, she's actually chosen the needful part. She's actually chosen the most important while you're all flustered about all this other stuff. Jesus said, Mary has chosen the needful part in that she was sitting at the feet and spending time with Jesus. If you're so wrapped up in the ministry, 
If you're so wrapped up in serving God that you don't have time to worship God or talk to God or spend time with God, then you've allowed that ministry to become the God in your life rather than keeping God at the place where he belongs. The Bible says in Jeremiah 44, the Bible says in verse number five, but they hearkened not nor inclined their ear to turn from their wickedness to burn no incense unto other gods. Verse eight, in that ye provoke me unto wrath with the works of your hands, burning incense unto other gods. It goes on to say in verse number 18, but since we left off to burn incense to the queen of heaven, this was one of the false gods of the Egyptians, and we pour out our drink offerings unto her, and we have wanted all things and have been consumed by the sword and by the famine. And verse 23, because ye have burned incense. We see that mentioned over and over and over again. Well, what was incense in the Bible? Incense in the Bible was something that was offered on the altar as something that was burned. And the Bible says that it was offered by Aaron the priest every morning. And that incense, the Bible says, was a sweet-smelling savor in the nostrils of God. You say, well, Pastor, what in the world does incense have to do anything? Because we don't burn incense today. And that's true, we don't. But you know what we do today? We do something that God loves to smell, God loves to hear, and God loves to receive. We offer our prayers to God. And you know what that is for God? Oh, boy, that smells good. Can I tell you, when you stop offering incense and offering prayers up to God, usually it's because you're focusing on something else. It's because something else has taken the place of your prayer time. Something else has taken the place of your worship. Exodus 30, verse 9, God told his people, he said, ye shall offer no strange incense thereon. It's amazing to me the, the sense of smell and how much I appreciate it especially after last January, after losing it for a while uh, with COVID. Um, and then after losing it, I started to get it back. And after getting it back, things didn't smell right. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm not kidding you. There were things that I used to love to smell. There was one time, I, I, it, it turned my stomach, I about got sick. I was outside I, one night, this was uh, probably late January, maybe February, and I was out grilling. I, I love, how many of you love to grill? Don't you love it? Don't you love the smell of that meat cooking uh, on the grill? And, and that got in my nostrils. What normally would have been a wonderful, wonderful sweet smell, and it about turned my stomach to about, to about where I couldn't eat that particular meat or that particular food for a while. Can I tell you, when we pray, that's a sweet smelling savor. But I wonder if, We've shut down the prayers because we're too busy with everything else. We don't have time to pray anymore. We don't have time to spend with God anymore. We don't have time to worship God anymore. Can I tell you, God deserves and God requires and God expects our worship and he's worthy of our worship. 
But God's people had stopped worshiping God and begun to worship idols. Number one, they would not heed. Number two, they would not hearken. Verse number five, the Bible says that they hearken not nor inclined their ear. That word incline their ear, it means literally to bend their ear, to turn their ear. You know how it works if you're in a, a loud or noisy place and you'll sometimes you'll try to cup your hand around your ear just so you can hear a little bit better. Well, God's people used to do that with God, but now they didn't incline their ear. Instead, they stopped listening. They stopped hearkening. Number one, they would not heed. Number two, we see they would not hearken. They wouldn't listen. I wonder tonight, who would you listen to? Who could tell you something? Uh, who could help you with something? If there was something in your life that it was obvious to somebody and they could come to you and say, listen, that is not what you need to do. That's not the way you want to go. That's not the direction. Uh, who could come to you if they saw something in your life? What friend or what person could come to you and say, listen, the path you're going down is not the path that you want to go down. It's going to ruin your life. You know, most people wouldn't listen. Most people would be offended. Most people would be irate. Most people would explode. I'm just telling you, who, who could talk to you? Who could tell you anything? I'm glad in my life, I'm glad I've had some people that have told me some things and felt like they could tell me some things and, and I've had to listen and that's a, that's a big piece of humble pie, isn't it, sometimes? When somebody tells you, say, you're wrong, you, you shouldn't do that. But God's people wouldn't hearken. They wouldn't listen to the prophet. They wouldn't listen to Jeremiah. They wouldn't listen to God. Number three, they would not humble themselves. The Bible says in verse number 10, it says uh, that they are not humbled unto this day, neither have they feared, nor walked in my law, nor in my statutes. The Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, that we're not going to see our nation come back to God until we first humble ourselves. The book of James tells us that if we will humble ourselves, that we can then draw nigh to God. But as long as we're proud, what does God do to the proud? He resists the proud, but he giveth grace to the humble. I wonder, would your life or my life be characterized by humility? Sometimes the longer we've been saved, the more we think we've got it all figured out. And we think we know better than everybody. And sometimes we think we know better than God. I got news for you. We as Christians, we must humble ourselves. God's people refused. They got into Egypt. They began to worship false gods. They wouldn't heed. They wouldn't hearken. They wouldn't humble themselves. But then number four, I want you to see in verse number 15, I see the responsibility of the husbands. This is, to me, this is so interesting. I had never seen this before. And I, I mean, I've read it. I've just not seen it like this. It says in verse 15, then all the men which knew that their wives had burned incense unto other gods and all the women that stood by a great multitude, even all the people that dwelt in the land of Egypt and Pathros answered Jeremiah saying, as for the word that thou hast spoken unto us in the name of the Lord, we will not hearken unto thee, but we will certainly do whatsoever thing goeth forth out of our own mouth. 
to burn incense unto the queen of heaven, to pour out drink offerings unto her, as we have done. We, our fathers, our kings, our princes, in the cities of Judah, in the streets of Jerusalem, for then had we plenty of victuals and were well, and we saw no evil. Here's what they said. We're going to do what we want to do. We're going to do exactly what we want, and we are not going to do what God tells us to do. But here's what's interesting to me. The responsibility of the husbands. Did you notice what it said in verse 15? It said, then all the men which knew that their wives had burned the incense. It appears to me that the women, now hang on ladies, okay? Don't throw anything at me because I'm going somewhere. It appears that the women were the ones who were leading the way in this idolatry. Now, I want to say this, and this is Bible, whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, that doesn't really even matter to me because it's what the Bible says. But the Bible still says that the men ought to be the leaders in the home. The Bible says that the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, Ephesians 5. Now, I understand there's situations where the men are not there or the men are not the leaders. And I understand there's some times where God will use uh, ladies to set a direction and God will use ladies to lead the way. You look throughout scriptures. There's an entire chapter, Proverbs 31, that is written about the virtuous woman. Uh, there was a woman who was a spiritual leader in the home. And I thank God for that. I thank the Lord for the stories of, of women like Ruth. And women like Esther, I'm thankful for that. But can I tell you, this situation here is a tragedy because the men knew what was going on, but the men refused to do anything about it. I don't know why the Bible does not tell us the reason. Maybe these men were too busy. Maybe these men were too lazy. Maybe these men just didn't have any spiritual backbone, didn't have uh, any ability to stand up and say, this is not what we're going to do in our home. I don't know the reason, but I know this. I know that God places a responsibility upon the men to lead the home. I think about the story of Adam and Eve, and you know, we often, I shouldn't say we, but sometimes people often point the finger at Eve. Say, oh, I can't believe Eve did that. Well, you know who God places the responsibility on? Adam. You know what Romans 5 says? For as in Adam, all sinned. The Bible says, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. God places the responsibility on Adam. Husbands, I want to say this. We have a spiritual responsibility in our home. And may God give us some men in our homes and in our churches and in our nation that will lead the way. And I'll say this, ladies, God has given you some gifts and God has given you some abilities, but, but don't ever lead your husband or, or lead your family away from the things of God. What a sad, sad situation here that the men they knew that the wives were worshiping the false gods and the men just said, well, we're just going to let it be. We're just going to let them do what they want to do. May God give us some men that'll do what's right, but may God give us some women also that will do what's right and be godly and be set apart for God. I see the responsibility of the husbands. 
I want you to notice their reasoning. Verse number 17, they said, we're going to worship these gods because back in Judah, when we worshiped the idols, it says we had plenty of victuals and we were well and we saw no evil. Verse 18, but since we left off to burn incense to the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto her, we have wanted or we have lacked all things and have been consumed by the sword and by the famine. Here's what they're saying. They're saying when we were in Judah, we were worshiping idols and everything was going good. And when we stopped worshiping idols, then things started getting hard for us. Now, time out, time out, newsflash. Did you know just because things are going good for you, that does not mean that you're doing what's right? Have you ever heard the story of the rich man and Lazarus? What was going on for the rich man? He was doing good. He wasn't living right, but he was doing well financially. What was happening to Lazarus? He was full of sores. He was begging for crumbs, but something happened. They both died. And guess where Lazarus ended up? He ended up in Abraham's bosom in heaven. The rich man ended up in hell. Just because things are going bad does not mean that what you're doing is wrong. And just because things are going good does not mean that what you're doing is right. How about the story of Job? If we use this reasoning, then we would all say that Job was the most rotten, wicked sinner on the planet because everything was going bad. Oh, no, friend. If things are not going well for you, that is not an indication that you are a wicked person. It might just mean that God's allowing you to go through through some trials so he can bring you forth as gold. But we see if you're living, and I'm living contrary to the Bible, the circumstances really don't matter. What matters is, what does God say? What does the word of God say? And of course, they knew better than to worship false gods and burn incense to these idols, but uh, they, they made a very, very silly excuse. Just because these people were worshiping idols and things were going good, That was not justification for their lifestyle. That was an evidence of the mercy and the long-suffering of God. If you're here today, tonight, or if you're watching online, or you're listening on the radio, and you say, well, pastor, I've been been drinking, I've been partying, I've been living it up, I've been living in immorality, I've been living in adultery, Uh, I've been stealing from work, I've been cussing, I've been cheating, I've been lying, I've been doing all of this, and guess what? I just got a promotion at work. Well, guess what? That ought to tell you. You ought to thank God that God is merciful and he's patient with you because if you got what you deserve, and if I got what I deserved, we wouldn't still be here today. I'll promise you that. But you ought to get right before the mercy runs out. You ought to get right before the judgment of God falls. We see the responsibility of the husbands. Number five, quickly, the result was havoc. Verse number 27, the Bible says, I will watch over them for evil and not for good. And all the men of Judah that are in the land shall be consumed by the sword and by the famine until there be an end of them. Judgment day was coming for God's people and the result was havoc. The result was destruction. And then lastly, number six, I see there was no help from Egypt. Verse number 30, 
Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will give Pharaoh Hophra, king of Egypt, into the hand of his enemies, and into the hand of them that seek his life, as I gave Zedekiah, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, his enemy, and that sought his life. You see, the people of Judah, sorry about that, the people of Judah, they had been counting on Egypt to save them from Babylon the first time. Well, guess what? Egypt didn't help them. Egypt didn't come through. And so now Nebuchadnezzar's already destroyed Judah, and now they're running down into Egypt thinking, we're going to be safe here in Egypt. Well, God said, hey, that Pharaoh that you're trusting in, I'm going to take him out just like I took out Zedekiah. There was no help in Egypt. Uh, there was no safety. There was no protection in Egypt. As a matter of fact, historians tell us that this Pharaoh, that he was uh, uh, so incompetent that one of the generals actually took over and allowed the king to rule with him for several years until they finally executed this Pharaoh because he was so worthless. And that's the very one that God's people were trusting in rather than trusting in God. I want to tell you this, there's no help in this world. You can put your, your trust and your confidence in this world, but I got news for you. The world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. There is safety, and there is protection under the power of God. But this world's not going to be there when you need them. Uh, the, the, the people of this world, the, 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 the sinners and the scornful and the wicked and all those people, they are going to drop you like a hot potato as soon as the good times run out. But I'll tell you what God will do. He'll stick with you. He will be faithful and he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.